Yeah, thank you, V. Yeah, V, to join 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 our uh, speaking event. And uh, I know V just launched a really cool, you know, apps. So uh, VR apps. So let's yeah, let's start. And uh, this will be a free form. Um, so yeah, so just do whatever you want, and I will pass my baton to you. Okay. So. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining. Um, for most of you, I imagine it's Saturday morning, so I appreciate the time during this period of rest and recreation. Uh, my name is Vlad. I represent CM Games. It's a company I co-founded 12 years ago, and um, we come from the mobile gaming background. And uh, for anyone who's familiar with mobile gaming, one of the immediate questions would be, what is a guy from this industry doing at an XR or VR meetup because mobile gaming is huge. It's the biggest game in the market by far. It's bigger than movies and music combined. So typically you'd expect people working and finding traction in that category to stay there for life. Uh, but uh, it just so happened that we um, experimented VR early on from the gaming angle and um, fell in love with the tech. We had some people in our team who were really enthusiastic about things you could do uh, specifically in the VR that was just not possible, um, international 3D gaming, and uh, obviously not the smartphones. And um, through those early experiments, we uh, ultimately greenlit a small project that became uh, one of the top, uh, most prominent, also top grossing uh, PC VR games at the moment. Uh, it was published on Steam two years ago, um, got into the steam platinum category which is like basically top 12 games of our revenue for the year in 2021 uh this year i think we're heading for the same result top 10 currently i think definitely top 15 uh based on 2022 uh when it when it ends and we also launched it on the biggest vr platform by wide margin which is the the quest two uh, two days ago and this is why one principal reason why i didn't want to have a structured presentation today because I wanted to keep my options open and be flexible about the uh, based on how the launch goes. Uh, so I'm coming from this gaming background, and I do understand that not everyone in the world work, works in gaming. So I'll be trying to um, be flexible with the with the the facts and the opinions I can provide, and leave more space for your questions so we can kind of tailor it to your interests and not dive too deep into the specifics of gaming. Uh, but just as a quick overview, I guess most people would be interested in what VR gaming is currently as, as a consumer category, as a business. There was a lot of hype uh, about five years ago, six years ago, when Oculus was famously acquired for $2 billion by Facebook. And there was a lot of anticipation around VR gaming specifically. Uh, some companies really jumped into the, this category with uh, big name IPs, significant investments. And then there was a period of uh, basically disappointment and disillusionment because the market wasn't there. And despite all the investment and the hype, the headsets were not quite um, as good as we as game developers want them to be. And most importantly, the consumers were not ready to um, spend $1,000 on a device that needs to be connected to $2,000 PC gaming rig and then play a catalog of maybe 10, 15 really good games and a bunch of shooting galleries and basically prototypes that others have come up with. So that, that was a classical standard chicken and egg problem where you need great content to lure the customers in, but you also need to have the customer base to lure the great developers in and have the build big games that actually excite the player base and have them buy more devices. Uh, the typical cold start problem, if you will. And then um, there was this noticeable cooldown across the entire industry uh, throughout 17, 18, 19. And that is exactly when we started working our game because uh, the initial enthusiasm had faded. We um, remained pretty much focused on mobile games that worked very well for us. But uh, there was this conviction um, in a small group within the company that eventually things will work out. The, the, the medium was fundamentally interesting. It's fundamentally appealing to the audience and it's just a question of kind of pushing through a few years of iterations of hardware and software and growing the ecosystem and then eventually at some point it might 
Blossom. And we also had this experience from working on Android games back in 2010, 2011, kind of betting on this really awkward platform that was kind of fading in comparison to the more polished iOS experience in the App Store experience. But uh, seeing that as fundamentally interesting, so we had this kind of background where we already placed this kind of uh, high risk, high reward bet. It worked out well for us. Uh, and um, this is where the conviction comes that we can actually you know, push through a few years of disappointment if we have this like, fundamental reason to believe that there is merit in, in the hardware and software combination. Uh, it's not a gimmick. It's um, fundamentally valuable and fundamentally irreplaceable by conventional flat screens and other devices. So we uh, had a really small group working on a game, uh, basically originating as a passion project, which uh, they brought into the company for Greenlight. And that was a really tough call for me because at the time we were doing casual mobile games using Unity as the primary game engine. This was a PC VR survival game built in Unreal Engine 4. Uh, completely different tech stack, a completely different audience, different hardware. And I was kind of forced to choose between supporting the game strategy that we had, the portfolio that we were trying to build, and supporting the culture, because obviously, especially in the creative environment, the gaming company wants to support people who have their own creative ideas, who are the champions of their products, who are kind of these micro-entrepreneurs in the company kind of trying to develop their ideas. You want these guys to have the opportunity to blossom and pivot and uh, ultimately make their fortune. And in that case, I chose culture. So I supported this project. We really gave it a small budget and ultimately reached the so-called early access on Steam, which is basically your um, initial launch where you open the game to um, an audience, you start generating sales, but you don't get any review scores, and you basically tell everyone up front that this is a work in progress thing. And our early access launch was a disaster. It wasn't um, resonating with the audience. Uh, the team overscoped a lot. They went for a massive open world exploration game with lots of interesting different mechanics. Had to cut features dramatically um, before in the run-up to the launch. And that's a common story in game development overall. I, mean, I think even people who are not particularly interested in games or don't work in game development know the story of big games kind of shipping as a complete mess a really expensive mess with really expensive components, but not working very nicely together. And that was pretty much our story, but the team persevered. Um, they recognized their mistakes. They uh, learned quickly from the feedback. They realized that they kind of landed between the two principal camps in the VR gaming community where some people wanted um, a shooting gallery effectively, a game where you could shoot guns and just enjoy this experience of operating the systems uh, in VR and having all those manual interactions that are really interesting and engaging. And other people wanted a polished, um, story-driven narrative experience. And our game kind of landed in between where it didn't give you the simple arcade Schlinger experience, but it wasn't polished enough to be a true narrative masterpiece. So they worked on kind of bridging the gap and making it a more compact, focused experience with more polished, better quality of life, um, more approachable, gameplay and ultimately through uh, these iterations they uh, improved their review score dramatically um, and finally launched the game like did the proper launch on steam on pc in july 2020 and that wasn't good either um, we uh, sold i think maybe 20 000 euro worth of copies in the launch week which is not a significant result and uh, it was nowhere near the original budget and sales dropped to like five copies a day soon after so that wasn't pretty, but at the same time, we kind of maintained this conviction that we've done this already. The game is out there. We reasonably did the best we could with the, the tools that we had at the time, and we learned from it. Uh, we are keeping our toes in the water. We are seeing like live dynamics of the market, which is valuable in some right? So if it starts growing, then we'll be better positioned to kind of capitalize on this growth. And that's exactly what we saw towards the end of 2020, when, yes, we did some really good updates to the game itself. We fixed all the common issues. We, again, raised the review score um, and the loyalty of the player base. Our community was growing. But at the same time, we felt that fundamentally something was kind of propping up the sales, like the underlying market was clearly growing. And then it dawned upon us that Quest 2 has arrived. A cheap device, re relatively cheap device, heavily subsidized, um, pushed 
aggressively by Facebook, uh, then Facebook. Um, not a big catalog of games on it. And uh, naturally, people buying into a $400 device, seeing a very limited selection of great content, are connecting their devices to the PC and uh, playing their Steam games, PC VR games, using the Quest 2 as the, uh, as the display system, effectively, and an audio system as well. And then it kind of clicked for us, like, okay, this is happening. This, these devices are shipping really well, even though Facebook really secretive about their numbers. Uh, from different sources and circumstantial evidence, we kind of did the math and figured that um, these are selling in the millions. Um, so we decided to make it one of the strategy pillars for the bigger company to um, focus on VR content. And we kind of drafted the strategy uh, in late 2020, accepted it in early 2021. And that's the strategy basically revolved around uh, building on the success of the existing game, bringing it to other platforms, of which Quest 2 was obviously the main target because, yes, we have people connecting the Quest 2 to the PC, but obviously not everyone has a gaming PC. Not everyone has the, the technical skills and the mindset and the tenacity to actually make the connection work and maintain it. Uh, so in the practical terms, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but if um, we look at the sales numbers of the Quest 2, uh, these are estimations, right? I'm not spilling any beans. I'm not in possession of any data coming from Meta, but there's pretty solid evidence. It's selling on pair with uh, the most recent generation of the Xbox consoles and the PS5. PS5 is a little faster, and I think Quest 2 is somewhere between those two. So we're talking about maybe 17, in the work of 17 million devices shipped. And the total audience of the Steam VR gaming segment is maybe three to five million. And of those, I would say maybe two million are Quest 2s, optimistically. So there's a lot of players not using this opportunity to connect the, the device to the PC for a variety of legitimate reasons. So naturally, wanted to go there, which was really challenging technologically because it's effectively a smartphone um, system on a chip um, tuned to run XRVR, but uh, in terms of processing power, it's nowhere close uh, mid-range uh, GPU you find in the gaming PC for obvious reasons. And then we have all the other considerations of RAM, et cetera, et cetera. So even though we um, went with the most experienced team we could find as a porting partner, even though we dedicated a lot of our internal developer time to working on the port, and we improved the underlying game dramatically in terms of um, frame rate consistency, load times, map sizes, and all those things that kind of fit into the overall equation for the, the performance on the target headset. Um, we were still not convinced that uh, we can actually make it happen. It was a major challenge technologically, and um, it still remains one of the big roadblocks for truly awesome AAA games on the Quest 2 because it's, it, it might look like um, a VR headset that's similar in, in shape and size to dedicated VR headsets that work with the gaming PCs, but fundamentally this is smartphone hardware um, powering those games. So one of the um, principal goals was to ship on Quest 2 as early as possible with the best quality we can deliver and try to really push the boundaries of what the hardware can do and also kind of tilt the perception of players uh, because we uh, were quite happy with the rate the Quest 2 was selling and we're hoping that more companies will be coming up with better, cheaper mass market hardware that people will be buying in millions and tens of millions of units. But we also had this conviction that it's the content that has to sell the devices as well. So for all the new prototypes, we also kind of created this internal criteria that if we're thinking about building something, um, we should ask, is it going to sell the platform to a meaningful cohort of players? Is it going to be a niche experience? Is it going to be um, an experience that's similar to something else? Or is it going to be something that to at least a portion of the audience is the final reason, the final straw that convinces them to buy this device because they want to experience it and have their friends experience it? So uh, we also set out to Kind of iterate and search for other interesting ideas, other prototypes. So we adopted the strategy in uh, early 2021. And throughout the year, we saw the market grow. It's not a crazy pace. It's um, 
not what we saw in the early 2010s when smartphones exploded and Android went from having a handful of phones to having this, like being the dominant operating system and like everyone in the room, like anywhere you go um, has. Um, yeah, I'll take that question later. Thank you. Um, anywhere you go, everyone has Android phones around you. So it's not this explosive trajectory for various reasons, some of them quite obvious. Um, like the utility of the device itself, not comparable to a smartphone. And we're not expect expecting this, but we were seeing 30, 40, in some cases, 50% year over year growth, which is, if you think about 10 million devices and you kind of extrapolate that, that's quite healthy. And again, looking at the competition, um, looking at the content that is there, the hurdles developers need to jump to actually deliver quality content and all the uncertainty and the, uh, lack of confidence from big publishers, again, kind of off the back of this period of disappointment that we witnessed. We thought, okay, we're in an interesting position where we know the market is growing. Uh, almost no one is actively betting on it, but we're already there. And uh, we kind of almost know a secret. And uh, throughout the year, I was talking to big publishers. I know to big gaming holdings and kind of Throwing the same question at everyone, like, what do you guys think about VR? And most people were skeptical, like, no, nah, it's, uh, it's declined. Uh, there's no fundamental reason for growth. And we're like, you know, we disagree because there is a fundamental reason for growth. There's a specific device in a specific form factor that's appealing and it's selling really well. And um, uh, we also disagree with the statement that it's declining because, yes, it has declined a lot, but now it's growing at uh, a pace that in almost any other segment would be considered really good we're kind of spoiled in in mobile gaming right but for any other industry 40 percent year over year uh that's really healthy so um we uh, decided to invest heavily we decided to um really double down on the quest version of the game um and it just launched two days ago so ultimately we um we, we got this done. I think right now it's number eight in the quest to uh, top selling charts, but uh, I think it's averaged over a week. So I think we're heading for the for the top three spot, maybe number one, optimistically. Uh, really happy with the sales so far. Unfortunately, I can't sell it because Meta won't let us disclose any sales. But uh, even before we launched, I kind of used this um, method of guessing that if you look at the number of ratings a game has on the quest store and multiply it by 50 to 75, depending on how much the game is, then you end up with a ballpark number. So this can be used to estimate the, the size of the market. And uh, similarly, uh, on Steam, the typical ratio is um, 40, 45. So if you look at the number of reviews on Steam, multiplied by 35, you get the number of copies sold, give or take 30%, depending on the maturity of the game, the price, et cetera. Uh, so these are, this is where we are right now. Um, Talking about the overall size of the market, I mentioned uh, three to five million devices connected to Steam, um, 17 million, 18 million Quest 2s shipped. How many of which are active, I don't know, I can't guess. Uh, so it's not a huge industry. But at the same time, again, if you look at the number of PS5s delivered, it's in the same ballpark. Can you build um, a $100 million a year business uh, with a game for this platforms? There's at least one instance, but it's really damn hard. The market is not so big. It's really difficult to build a product that literally everyone will buy because people have different tastes and preferences. Um, can you build a 10 million a year uh, gaming product in this market? Absolutely. And uh, it might be one of the easier uh, gaming markets for a studio of that size and level of ambition just because of the scarcity of content and how slow everyone has been to kind of reorient themselves again and uh, consider VR gaming an interesting market. So as we've seen again with smartphones and transition to free play and every fundamental shift in gaming, um, there's always this early skepticism. And then there's like a three, four year delay before the big guys truly embrace the platform, the, own, the ins and outs of the new business models. Uh, there are some interesting technical constraints and some interesting game design constraints that I'm might talk about in more detail if anyone asks me about it, but uh, you can kind of infer that 
not every mechanic translates well to VR and some trivial mechanics that are uh, really easy to implement in conventional gaming, like inventory management. We just have a grid of things. You can place items on the grid and you, you're golden. In the VR, it's immersion breaking. You have to have really uh, sophisticated, um, fundamentally new waves of solving these problems. So there is an entry barrier that is difficult to um, approach for a newcomer without previous like, deep understanding of VR um, interaction modes and what actually makes VR fun. Um, sometimes the same genre doesn't really work the same way in VR. For example, our uh, pedigree is in racing games on mobile. And on mobile, the racing game is basically a rhythm game in most cases. Like we do drag racing games. We basically created this genre a while ago. And it's all about typing the gear button at the right time. Uh, so you get this intensity of racing, and that's the central element of the game. When you do this in VR, it's completely different because people start pressing all the buttons in the car. They have to you know, be able to open the door, raise the windows, and one of they stick their hand and try to kind of catch it with the window. And you have to design for all these edge cases because this is where the fun is, like messing around with the cars, touching everything, arranging everything, kind of trying to press everything that looks interactive. And then racing kind of becomes almost a secondary mode where you um, perform, but the fun is mostly elsewhere. And that's complete paradigm change. So, um, and yes, we're working on Eternation VR. Um, there's a demo out there, but the game is gonna be obviously uh, much better when, when we're done with it. So um, th there's an entry barrier for sure. Uh, but once you cross this barrier, once you understand um, how to design these games, uh, what people are actually looking for, then it might be one of the better markets for medium-sized studios, indie developers, just because of this lag when most big companies haven't figured this out and jumped into it. And some are still kind of learned from previous experience from five years ago. Uh, so that's the, the situation we're in right now. We're really bullish on VR. There's a bit of... Um, uncertainty around the hardware. And there was a question about Pico. Uh, we would love Pico, we love what they're doing. Um, we're hoping that there'll be more um, OEMs uh, supplying devices that are kind of ideologically similar to the Quest 2, but hopefully more, even more mass market, even cheaper, even more powerful, even more elegant and lightweight, and hopefully with better um, power management and better capacities, even though batteries are fundamentally tricky to sell because of the underlying tech. And the entire world is basically waiting for the batteries. And this obviously concerns the standalone device as well. Uh, we're not huge fans at this point. Maybe our opinion will change in October, but at this point, we're kind of apprehensive when it comes to what Meta are doing, kind of moving up market, uh, shipping a more expensive device, um, which looks sexy, but... Uh, uh, the alleged $800 to $1,000 price tag next to the original price of the Quest 2 doesn't look that sexy. We'd rather see a Quest 3 with the uh, higher spec uh, CPU-GPU combination, uh, better lenses, uh, lower price ideally. But this is obviously coming you know, from our perspective as developers because we want mass adoption with more people to get this device ASAP. Obviously, Mark and Meta have other priorities. And uh, I genuinely wish that uh, uh, the Quest Pro blows everything out of the water and uh, amazes everyone with the touches. But at the moment, we kind of, let's say there's a bit of uncertainty around where this product line is going at this time. And obviously everyone's kind of um, on the edge of their seats, uh, thinking about, hey, we've heard rumors about an Apple device, um, coming at some point, it's, it has to come. It's allegedly for some issues. Um, Apple won't spill any beans, obviously, about it. Being Apple, uh, notorious for being really tight-lipped, even in really private conversations. And um, still kind of keeping the fingers crossed that eventually it's going to ship and kind of elevate the industry. Uh, or perhaps Valve can come up with something because, again, rumors and there's fundamental reasons for this. So we think that the market is growing at a healthy rate. Whether that rate will be sustained, uh, by um, Meta and Pico uh, and the likes alone, we're not sure. Uh, is it primed for a breakthrough? Well, there are some opportunities for breakthrough and explosive growth. So 
I wouldn't rule this out. Um, so that's the, the outlook. And I think I've been talking for like 30 minutes straight, so I, I'd be happy to take some questions at this point. E.T., I see your hand has been raised for like forever. I, I think you sort of an, answered my question because, you know, I'm here in Silicon Valley and you're up against some big behemoth game companies. So I like that you're fast and sassy and in Estonia and strutting your stuff. So congratulations for that. But I hang out with the Epic Game and the Unities because we use their avatars and we're adding voice AI. And I hear all of the trials and tribulations of developers, how they work their butts off and can't make any money. So I commend you on what you've created, you know, with your own small resources and, and gumption. Um, and I also, I just want to put this into your mind. And we were talking in the previous news session about how Roblox is actually training tweeners, you know, young kids, how to program so that they can become boy geniuses and girl geniuses like you to uh, learn, change education like Gigi's doing. And I look at it in healthcare, you know, the global warming issues, the health issues. Um, I don't particularly like shoot 'em up games, but what I do like is the interaction and the streaming interoperability and the building of communication communities, you know, so I, I like my grandson to play games, but then I'm also teaching him, hey, you're now a global citizen. You're playing with kids who you never meet, you know, in Japan and Estonia and Latin America. These are your buddies now, you know, you guys can hang out and, and do good things together. Uh, and also at Stanford, where I work and a nice lady I work with at Cornell, they're looking to quote unquote gamify research. So they're looking at your toys, you know, all of your games, even the nitro thing, how people react in their brains when they're, they're racing cars to see if we can bring those fruits forward into treating Alzheimer's, you know, keeping the mind active, keeping people's reflexes good, you know, and you have a lot of veterans that, yeah, they're, they're aces and guns. And when they're losing their mind, they want to play these target games, you know, or they want to fly planes. So I'm looking at not just looking at it in a small garden of gaming, but into uh, social and human health activities. So just keep that in mind. Um, and, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> but I do love the people that work for him. Um, but I don't want Quest to, to uh, control you, you know what I mean? To just yeah, yeah, of course. say to you, you can only do this, you can't do that. So you know, and if you need help scoping out other other tools or, or connections, just let me know. But you know, I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing. I think you you're you're right on. You're you're pioneering, and you're trying, you know, as best you can to to break through and to educate me. So thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. And just your comment about um, going beyond gaming and uh, helping people in direct and indirect ways. We're actually working on this as well. One of the internal startups in the company is a mental well-being assistant that's kind of merging um, some of the non-gaming with gamification because play is one of the um, easier ways to implement new habits and uh, implement habits to stick. So we actually, we have a social mission in the company and we're actually working on uh, certain things that are um, aimed at not just entertaining, but also delivering value through play. And uh, I think it's, um, it's a great problem for any game developer to consider because we have, in some cases, tens of millions of eyeballs and in VR we have the hands and uh, the, the motion of the head as well. And that's a lot of attention, that's a lot of data that can be utilized um, beyond just um, entertaining, however valuable entertainment is, that's all right. I'll just quickly to take two questions from the chat before I forget about them. Um, I already commented on the Pico and uh, Apple's headset, fingers crossed, more devices, more competition, more diversity across the device base. We're not concerned about fragmentation. A lot of people complain about fragmentation of Android devices uh, back in the early 2010s coming from a singular uh, device ecosystem like iOS and kind of being uh, confused by 300 Android devices on the market. Meanwhile, we were coming back on the, on the back of working on Java mobile games where we had 
600 devices in the market and they were vastly different. So uh, diversity is great and competition is great. So we are rooting for every player in the market right now. Um, and there was a question from Matt about NFTs. Uh, we are utilizing NFTs in an upcoming game uh, that we're working on with uh, Mythical Games. It's a racing game. It's another game derived from Nitro Nation. It's um, uh, a standalone product. And generally, I uh, like my view on the metaverse is um, different to, let's say, Mark's view for apparent reasons. Uh, when we talk about the metaverse in the company, and frankly, we don't use that term a lot. We mostly like to use Web3, even though Web3 is kind of um, a buzzword and so right. But we typically speak about all the components that kind of go into the content flywheel, kind of close to, closer to what Matthew Ball formulated and articulated really nicely while we're going to describe the metaverse. All the things that kind of feed into each other to incentivize and encourage more people to create and uh, monetize their creations in a new way. For example, governance tokens contribute to this because they create incentives, they give people leverage. Um, the various uh, cryptocurrencies feed into this. Um, so in that domain, I see how these things are kind of interconnected and once they reach a certain critical mass, uh, then they encourage more people to build for the metaverse. VR um, doesn't necessarily, um, in my opinion, have a central role. Uh, VR will probably benefit from the onset of Web3, whichever shape it ultimately takes, because it's, it's going to grow the overall pie. There's going to be more applications for everything, uh, basically. And um, I believe that VR can be genuinely useful. I just don't believe it's central to... Um, what is required to make the metaverse really explore. And that's my opinion. So yes, we're using NFTs, but not necessarily in the context of VR games, not necessarily aiming to marry the VR games and the web-free games. Uh, even though we kind of joke and tell that we are a metaverse company because we work across AI uh, and data science and VR and web-free, uh, but these are all separate divisions that kind of emerged at different times for their own reasons. And these were the questions from the chat. I'm happy to take more from you guys. Jim, for example. Yes, I have a two-part question. Um, the first part is, what do you think the sweet spot is in terms of price for uh, VR devices that would most foster your growth? And the second part of the question is, there have been polls that say, half of all teenagers have no interest in the metaverse. And do you think that that impacts you in any way? Uh, I, well, the sweet spot for price um, depends on the utility of the device, because if you think of it as a purely gaming thing, then the cheaper, the better. Uh, and uh, yes, I would love the, the platforms to subsidize them heavily and then earn back their investment on content because I produce the content. So this aligns our interest. So please give people free devices if you can. Um, however, if um, we're thinking about, let's say, ne next generation of devices that have practical professional utility, but they're also gaming machines, kind of like what PC was back in the day where, when you know most people bought PCs for work, but then they realized they could play games on them. And that kind of elevated the PC gaming industry. From that perspective, uh, they might be more expensive. And uh, maybe there is a, a good case for $800 standalone devices if suddenly people realize that kind of like a smartphone, right? Most people buy smartphones for, I mean, messaging, right? Uh, TikTok, all those things. Sometimes work. Not necessarily gaming, uh, but it's a gaming device. And most smartphones would target are quite expensive in the hundreds of dollars, uh, the, the flagships. You know the prices, um, but uh, because they have a lot of other utility, this doesn't prevent lots and lots of people from buying them, and uh, that's how this market exploded, uh, and then kind of lifted the boats of all the game developers out there as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, hopefully, cheaper, uh, hopefully leveraging the unit economics of just having more people interested in the product and kind of ramping up production. Uh, hopefully, eco-friendly and carbon neutral, but uh, that's another problem to deal with. Uh, to your other question, uh, we don't um, 
take these polls uh, seriously. We kind of use them as data points and inputs, but first, you know, when I was a teenager, teenager my, uh, I wasn't interested in, in the metaverse either, uh, even though it, it didn't really exist, but my sphere of interest was quite limited and heavily influenced by uh, my peers. Um, not too many teenagers are tech visionaries. Uh, they, I think it's not the, the right time and, and place for that. And uh, second, I don't think a lot of people have a, a solid understanding of what, what metaverse is or can be. We have, like, we have an entire metaverse of metaverse definitions right now. So it's it kind of, um, it is a data point. It's, not, it's just not very useful for us. Um, as VR developers or as Web3 developers, we need to build stuff that has product value. What really kind of changed our perspective on VR specifically, and this just came to mind, was seeing people in our Discord channels label um, conventional games as pancake games. So they kind of came up with this term for normal games, calling them pancake games. And that really stuck with us because that kind of answered the question of is it a gimmick or is it not? Because when people stuck at the labeling, a multi-million dollar industry that's been around for 30 years as something inferior, then they really mean it. Like that does, it means that they really see fundamentally new opportunities here, fundamentally new product value. And uh, that was a big encouraging sign for us that, okay, this is real. This is not just some people kind of spinning up the narrative and some people buying into the narrative. No, this like real um, opportunity there. And, uh, but ultimately, you know, it's about building great stuff for us as developers. Great content uh, will uh, raise the interest of everyone. Yeah, I guess the metaverse is sort of a fuzzy, ill-defined thing right now. Whereas if somebody wants to play a game, they can do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And metaverse can be turned and twisted by uh, whichever corporation or other entity wants to uh, kind of dominate the narrative. So, yeah. sure, I, you know, I, I can speak to the uh, current developments of the uh, metaverse at the moment. Um, actually, some really, really cool things. Uh, I akin the word metaverse to connected experiences. It doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, Steam related. I, I, I came from working with one of the largest uh, VR Steam companies. I was uh, Neos VR. And mm -hmm. they weren't able to connect their experiences. They were great. At building experiences and connections within amongst their people, but they weren't able to uh, build economy uh, and, and thus grow scale. And it was it was a little bit awkward uh, moving into uh, new spaces uh, and, and grabbing new customer acquisition target markets. And so, uh, metaverses, these connected experiences, will uh, welcome uh, games just as they will welcome retail. I think it has to go hand in hand that customer experiences want both. They, the customers want to uh, play, uh, interact, and 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 um, and, and earn, and uh, do their transactions all in one place. They want convenience. So metaverse, so to speak, will have uh, aspects of VR. You'll walk into a, a store just like you would otherwise. Be able to see the store in VR and, and actually see what you're purchasing. Purchase it; it'll be on your doorstep in 30 minutes. Uh, just as that, you walk into the door, uh, the store, you'll be able to walk into a, a, an experience like uh, such as the game that you're speaking of. And these shared experience metaverses uh, will be compatible with each other. So if somebody uh, liked a, you know a different uh, environment than others. I mean, there's going to be hundreds of them, and the hardware uh, is is just going to, as you pointed out, continue to advance. But that's that's my take on uh, metaverse. I think it, it it cannot be understated how important it is for uh, games to uh, connect to it. Uh, you're increasing your audience in a, in a very uh, familiar, um, personalized way, um, and so. Um, yeah, I like I like uh, all of your comments. I just wanted to tune in there when uh, somebody uh, commented on metaverse. My two cents, but yeah, it's, the direction is really cool. Thank you. I'm with you. Uh, anyone want to 
let, let, let's see. I, I, I saw there are some questions. Yeah. yeah there's a question in, in, in chat from Natasha about influence, uh, the influence of AI on the development of VR. Um, it's, uh, it does influence uh, the development of games. Um, I don't think there's a very good application for AI in, in VR specifically. Uh, we are um, using the AI uh, to process data, um, to build, uh, let's say, customer chore models, uh, personalized offers on the user level. And this is where AI is really helpful. Uh, but that is mostly uh, applied where we have lots and lots of data, and that's typically the free-to-play gaming side, mobile games. Um, uh, so it does have utility in VR as well, but it's not um, the, the primary application. Uh, AI can be really useful for content generation, and uh, everyone's been obviously enjoying the, the images generated by Midjourney and some other tools in the, in the past couple of months. Uh, there are tools that can reach the gap from having a 2D image to actually having an asset in Unity or Unreal Engine. And something that's simple that you could have something generated by AI converted um, into a high, highly detailed mesh uh, you could use in your game. Uh, and then uh, put it in, let's say, Unreal Engine 5 using Nanite, which is going to generate the LODs and make it actually uh, practical in in the gaming context. So the content creation pipeline is, uh, I think is going to be relying more and more on AI generated assets um, in the few, uh, in the next few years. Um, VR will be one of the key beneficiaries of that because one of the fundamental issues of VR is performance. You have to have 70 FPS or ideally 90 plus FPS on two screens rather than 60 plus on just one. Uh, so um, we're looking forward to this. Um, so but, uh, AI and gaming, uh, there is a, a really cool use case that's uh, being developed right now. Uh, it's it's a, well, a subset of AI, machine learning, uh, creating recommendation engines, which tie into Oracle feeds into the decentralized exchanges. And so within the games, if you have NFTs that have uh, some 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 uh, transactional value and demand between the users. They could put that that those NFTs from the games onto these decentralized exchanges, and the AI, the machine learning, would actually uh, take the Oracle data feeds and uh, you know price it, price point it, uh, and create recommendations uh, for uh, certain uh, objectives within the game. Whether somebody wants to. Uh, you know, dragon or whatever you know they would recommend you know certain uh, tools that have been effective most effective for people that have already accomplished that particular task uh, so uh it's just wanted to chime in have you heard anything about that yes yes and we are, we're actually doing something similar we have our own uh ml uh, data science slash ml division the company is working across all verticals uh, including Web3, and, and to a lesser extent, but still we are. And there was a comment about audio, AI-generated audio. I think that's awesome. Uh, I think we're also looking into it because uh, as the games are getting bigger and more detailed, obviously you want to um, kind of automate the creation of generic assets. And in some cases, uh, ambient music or some SFX become generic assets that have to be there. Uh, and it doesn't make practical sense to record, um, let's say, an explosion for the millionth time and have your own uh, proprietary variation of this genetic sound and ditto for ambient music. So we're really interested about that too. So that was a good comment. Thank you. And there's a question from Caddy. Um, I'm new to the metaverse. When I have a design and consulting business in architecture, I work with 3ds Max and ArchiCAD and Revit. Sorry if I spelled them incorrectly. Would like to get to use VR in my mode. Those for my clients, what are some tools that this um, software package offer for VR? But ultimately, uh, all you need to do is um, you need to have a player in some forum that can render in VR. And that basically means two cameras with uh, slightly different angles. 
and you just um, need to have a device that's gonna be on on the on the viewer's head. So, from the visualization perspective, it's uh, it's not a major challenge. It's basically two cameras, especially if you're not doing real time, if you're doing previews, if you're doing still images uh, or like three. 60 shots, you don't have to have lots of things happening in real time at 70 frames per second. Uh, then it's just a question of having a dual camera setup uh, in your software and um, rendering it like this. I would love to give you more specific guidance, but we generally work with uh, game engines for that. And game engines obviously come good with, uh, with the right tools because this is where we render. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, feel free to unmute yourself and chime in. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering if you're using Unreal Engine for anything. Yeah, the game I was mentioning, the, the big success we have uh, in VR uh, on Steam and Quest 2, that's built in Unreal Engine 4. Uh-huh. And we're waiting for Epic to make UE5 more VR-friendly because... Nanai doesn't work with uh, VR last time I checked. Mm -hmm. I don't think Lumen works very well with VR. So uh, fingers crossed that gets sorted out within the next year. And then we'll be moving to UE5 because UE5 is awesome. Have you been working with MetaHuman in any way? We've looked at it extensively. I'm, I'm, I've wanted to play around with it myself uh, because I, I love Unreal Engine. And uh, it's, really, it's really convincing. So we've been basically keeping track of it since the initial announcement. We haven't had a practical application for it because the game that we have out, um, it doesn't use realistic humanoid enemies or NPCs. So it, like, it's one of those things where I kind of keep an eye on and I'm really excited about it. Uh, just uh, never got around to actually doing something commercially with it. I've read that it's not great at making sequences, video sequences. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, I, I imagine there are hurdles to jump and uh, it's not perfect. But uh, when we saw the initial video, the initial presentation, like, okay, I don't care what kind of performance trade-off or what kind of glitches it comes with, it's really convincing. So eventually, it's I think very, it's going to get that. Yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah, it's really um, there's a great question about to To personalize their avatars? Uh, like uh, Ready Player Me, uh, avatar type. We actually know these guys pretty well because they're from Estonia. We uh, we know them. We've known them for a few years before they were called Ready Player Me. Um, they they actually visited our office. They they they're great. The tech is great. They're doing great, and they I think executed a great pivot towards avatars. Uh, we're not using any of this at the moment. We uh, it's just it's not any signal of skepticism. I think they they have a great solution. It's just that we don't have the problem in the first place. Just looking at the games we have and the, the presentation of players in those games. Uh, I would have loved to do something with them. Uh, just doesn't make a lot of sense for the current suite of products that we have. How do you address motion sickness when you were developing these games? I've heard it's particularly an issue with racing games. So the first thing about motion sickness in VR um, is that it's not, um, it's not something you're born with. Like a lot of people experienced early VR devices, maybe not so optimized experiences, maybe not so great screens uh, a few years ago and kind of jumped to the conclusion that they get motion sickness in VR, whereas in fact, all it takes is better game, uh, better game design, better hardware, and a bit of training. And I always bring up this um, example of commercial airline pilots or military pilots flying in IFR conditions, which means no visual reference, but you still have the G-forces act on you, so you, your brain still gets confused. And we don't see like 80%, 60% of pilots dropping out when they try IFR flying um, because that makes them uncomfortable. Uh, it's something you get used to if you do this professionally or if you do this for entertainment routinely. Um, that being said, there will be people who find playing VR games challenging even after tens of hours. It's just that the wide wider perception of the problem has been kind of exaggerated by some 
unfortunate early experiments and uh, just lack of habit and training and just not having the right frame rate in the, in the device in the first place, for example, not having a very good fit of the device to your specific face shape and uh, the, not having the head strap positioned correctly. Then when it comes to game design, we do a lot to um, eliminate um, scenarios where people will get motion, motion sick. Great example of racing, because doing the racing game was like our top item when we started playing with VR, uh, because we hail from this category. We, uh, we did some of the more popular racing games on mobile uh, with like 400 million combined downloads. So we have a huge audience there. And obviously I was number one on the list, but we figured that A, going through turns would be really difficult to deal with just because of the this massive discrepancy between the lateral g-forces you expect and the picture you're seeing and the the actual feeling on the body because you know in racing the, the g-forces are really strong and also it doesn't provide a lot of gameplay advantage because people want to excel in racing games and for that you actually need precision you don't need stereo vision that much you don't need to be there you basically need to have a really nice view of the aim point of the apex and have really high frame rate so you can control your throttle and braking and steering precisely so that didn't make a lot of sense for us but then we tried drag racing in vr and drag racing is different because yes you have the g-forces but they're going in just one direction and that's much easier to deal with because if you are kind of moving your head around and uh, or you're moving the camera around in vr and it's in multiple uh, degrees of freedom that gets progressively more difficult for the brain to deal with. If it's just one uh, axis, it's much easier. And also, um, you don't have to steer at all. So you don't have to go for turns. It's just a roller coaster, right? Much easier to deal with. Then we found that people spend most time in the garage playing around with the cars. So we kind of realized that, yes, racing games are really difficult to design for VR, and they don't always make a lot of sense in VR. However, if we look at, you know, if we can redefine what a racing game on VR is and emphasize on actually playing around with the cars and sitting in the cars and building the cars and installing upgrades and um, racing is just this quick, exhilarating ride, uh, then it begins to work. So there's a lot of like, hey, what are the conventions about the genre? Why it doesn't work in VR currently? How can we redefine the genre and make it fun in VR or discover what's really fun in, in VR about this? I think one thing that may add to or masquerade as motion sickness is uh, I do a lot of work in 3D. And if you don't do the 3D properly, you have to follow certain rules when you're doing 3D. If you don't do the 3D properly, that alone can make people sick, whether there's motion involved or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the small problems come to the surface when designing VR games. And it's a lot of fun, honestly. Like. Um just having given place the ability to move around um, almost unrestricted compared to uh, a traditional setup where you have basically a capsule that holds the player's body and then it kind of collides with everything and here you can kind of move your hands in all different directions tilt your head and kind of peek uh, opens up the door to lots of really interesting design problems and um some of them can be motion sickness inducing if they're not dealt with correctly. That is true. How about racing dune buggy ride? You can crash and roll over and just keep going. I used to build debuggies in Arizona and Baja out of old VWs. That would be awesome. I would do that. That would be quite intense on the motion sickness scale, though. That's for sure. Not very approachable for the new players especially the crash and the rollover parts. Um, not always fun in real life, definitely testing in VR. Uh, any other questions? Feel free to unmute yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I saw your website, a lot of very amazing stuff. Do you wanna share one, like, I don't know, the recent launch, like a video, so everyone can just look at uh, the trailer. I don't know, any videos you want to share? 
Well, you, you posted the link to the game. Yeah, I'm already um, thinking. <laughs> I think that's that's the one I'm most focused on. And basically, like we spent a year developing the sport, and it launched on Thursday night. And you can imagine that I spent most of yesterday just meshing F5 on my laptop and kind of updating the statistics. And uh, we are we are seeing a great launch right now. We are rated 4.9 stars out of five based on the first. 300 something reviews so we really nailed the quality and the um, stability of the experience despite some bugs and hiccups here and there uh, the response has been amazing and we are moving in the right direction in the top selling charts so that's the game i've been obsessing over for the last few weeks uh, in anticipation of the launch and at the moment that's kind of the pinnacle of what we're doing in vr even though we're trying also some different things working in the racing game um, we have two other prototypes I'm really excited about, but this is currently the um, the building edge, bringing um, an open world, highly sophisticated game built on Unreal 4 um, from PC to a standalone device. I think we kind of, um, and again, this is based on the feedback we see, kind of changing the per- perception of what's possible on, on a device like Quest 2 or uh, Pico Neo 3, for example. Uh, so I'd leave it at this. I think this is the game that deserves the spotlight right now. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I look at the intro and all the projects you've done. I think those are really amazing. And uh, yeah, um, I, I saw a lot of links yeah, about the project. So feel free you know, uh, just to uh, download it, buy it, and uh, try it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Any other questions you want to wanna ask? I had a question about uh, the X Reality Academy. Uh, can you speak to that? Okay, so uh, X Reality Academy. Pretty much, uh, I start uh, X Reality Meetup since two thousand nineteen. Um, it was in person because um, there, uh, b- because you know uh, before COVID, but. Uh, during COVID, we changed to virtually, and every Saturday we invite uh, speakers, or we have news share every Saturday morning, nine to ten will be news share, which I will bring up like two to three news, and uh, everyone gather together and discuss it for one hour. And later on, if we have, you know, speaker event, because speakers sometimes you know change times or unavailable. It's a little hard to control. What I can control is myself. So I will show up every morning, not every morning, like every Saturday morning, nine to 10 in California time. And I will always be here. So the goal is to always have something related to XR or, you know, immersive technology or the future of Web3, right? Like, you know, all all those um, topics and we kind of brainstorm there's always fruitful thoughts uh, about the new technology. And I learned a lot just by keeping this event going. And later on, a lot of my audience asked me like, hey, I want to learn XR, how can I do it, right? And I can tell you my my progress um, is very, not not, not so easy because this is like, uh, I started learning like uh, some development stuff or UX UI for that pretty much start uh, in 2017. And I look up online YouTube channel. So yeah, I, I would say it, it's a little hard. So I want to, so right now actually I'm creating uh, the you know entire system and then preparing course for people to uh, learn more about XR. And uh, yeah, so right now we are still preparing. I mean, if V, you are interested, um, yeah, I can, we, we can follow up uh, if you want to, I don't know, be the mentor, teach people in USA or, you know, training or, yeah, or having a course or teach uh, how to create a game or something. Yeah, feel free to contact me because right now we are still preparing it. And the entire, you know, um, uh, academy will be more design experience driven because I am a designer background and currently I'm contracting with Meta. So um, yeah, Facebook. So pretty much um, my, I, I, I think 
um, a lot of education nowadays is focusing on development, right? Like coding, just directly dive to C sharp, right? Or, you know, some other stuff, but a lot of like, I, I saw the lack of the education of how to create a good experience in um, XR, which is really important because our entire body, entire mind, soul will be inside this place. So that's what I, the goal is to create a pretty good experience in XR. Um, and uh, this will be more tailors to people who want to learn the experience design or tailors to designer. Because we all know that right now, currently people who jump into this area are more developer than designer. So yeah, I think uh, helping, you know, more uh, designer and designers usually are afraid of coding. I mean, we will probably slow, slowly bring to code, but, uh, you know, more experience driven and slowly migrate to advanced code. But uh, yeah, it's not just, you know, well, for example, master course, directly jump in and start coding something super fancy. Yeah, so that's the entire goal. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, does X Reality have a website? Yes, let me share with you. Yeah, I mean, we are still um, working on it. Uh, yeah, and the, the platform we are using is Moodle. Yeah, uh, it's an open source, uh, yeah. So yeah, take a look, uh, still under construction. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Let us know what you think. Any feedback is welcome. Okay, so yeah, Julian, any question? Yeah, hi, Dominique, and hi, Vlad, and everyone here. Um, sorry, I didn't get to listen to the entire podcast. Um, you know, it was interesting problems technically, but loving what you're saying, whatever I heard was really great, especially when you were talking about the... Um, um, when you're doing the racing game and the first thing people want to do is they just want to touch everything. And so you're defining what fun is in VR. Um, I've created a, a, a world that um, received some awards and so forth in VR. And it was pretty cool and everything, but it was, it was a really interesting process as well. And so one of the, I, I'm also scared of code. Let me tell you, I, 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 the minute I see X's and O's and dots, I start running away. So I, I understand what you mean. And Vlad, um, so what, how do you bring in the emotional factor? Like, I mean, I think, I think you mentioned that part of the play, part of the fun is, is, and especially in VR, especially is um, being able to tap into those emotions. How do you create that emotional aspect in your games, like do, you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna open that to you and, and to anyone else. Thanks, thank you. Well, thank you for your comments. Um, we appreciate that. And the emotional connection is the holy grail of game design, essentially. And I always tell um, other my peers in the industry, my team, that we are ultimately building a new startup every time we build a new game because we know that there's this north star objective of entertaining people in a new way. Um, and creating value for them in a new way. Uh, but we just cannot replicate anything that's been done before. And we have to find our own way um, of solving this really abstract problem. And a huge component of this is obviously the, the going from just having mechanics to having mechanics that spark genuine connection. Um, I don't have a really good answer. It's, uh, it's a product of hypothesizing, experimentation, observing, learning, approaching um, with uh, an open mind, especially in VR again, because VR is like so many game designers approach VR as some kind of extension of conventional game where, where they just try to replicate uh, certain mechanics uh, where in fact you have to, in most cases, take a clean sheet approach and just think of what would be awesome um, with, the, with these tools, uh, come up with a crude prototype, observe people, interact with it, see where they actually end up uh, having the most fun. Um, and again, going back to this uh, Night of Nation VR racing game example, if, uh, if a game designer comes into this project with uh, a concrete conviction that um, this should be a competitive racing game, highly technical, highly realistic, uh, they're going to be running into issues. 
because what they're going to see is people spending 80% of their time just messing around in someone else's garage and like picking up the trophies from the, from the shelf and placing them inside other people's cars and rearranging things and changing the rims on the cars and deflating their tires. Uh, it's a big playground. And then the, the logical thing for us would be to abandon our vision of what kind of racing game this should be and focus on what is actually triggering these emotional responses from the people. Where, what are they actually playing with? Because uh, we're not there to dictate what people will enjoy. We are there to kind of discover this together with, uh, with the player. So it's, this is a very vague answer, and I realize that, but uh, it, it is a holy grail of game design. Cool. Any other questions? Yeah. Thank you, V, for joining us today. And uh, hopefully, uh, talk to you soon and see everyone hopefully next Saturday. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.